number one, holy, holy, holy. We shall sing the first two stanzas in harmony, the last two stanzas in unison. Number one. <clears throat> together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we come to your house again this moment to pray, Father, that you would open up and reveal for us some of those marvelous and beautiful gifts that you have provided for us. We pray, Heavenly Father, that that you would circle this place about 
and that our eyes and our ears and our heart and our minds might, dear Lord, be protected from distraction so that we might be able to hear your voice and to know your mind. We come, Heavenly Father, in this hour to be a witness in this community, in this city, a witness that we do love you and that we have accepted the grace that you've given us in Jesus, your Son. And we pray, Father, that our witness might be empowered by your Holy Spirit. We come to worship. And we pray, Father, that you would accept our worship and that you would do in our lives that which would result in glory for you. And now, Father, I ask your choice blessing upon all of these who have come this day. You know each one of us. You know each of our needs. You know each of our possibilities. You know your will for us. Help us in this hour, Father, to be so in tune with you that your will would become our will. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen.
number 32, immortal, invisible, God only wise. Number 32.
Thank you for that beautiful music. Now it's our pleasure to extend a warm welcome to those who visit with us today. Always it's a pleasure to have you in our services. I'm going to ask our men here at the front if they won't stand right now with our visitor's card. And as they come up the aisle, if you're a visitor, not a member of our church or Sunday school, would you just raise your hand nice and high for them to see as they come by? They'll give you one of these cards, which we ask you to take and to fill it out. 
and drop it in the offering plate as it comes your way in just a few moments. But more important than that, let us say how glad we are that you're here with us today to worship the Lord here in his house. You bless us with your presence, and we trust that this service will be a real blessing to you. We invite you to come and share with us whenever you can. If you're looking for a church home, we extend to you an invitation to come and join our labor of love here in this family of faith at Brainerd Baptist Church. Thank you so much for your cooperation. Brother Matt McCarley comes now with our Sunday School report. Thank you, Brother Norman. To each of the 860 who were in Sunday School this morning, we say thank you for coming and sharing in the study of God's Word. One new member, a special welcome to you and 28 who visit with us. We invite you, too, to become a part of our regular Bible study program as we study and share God's Word together. October, special days of activity, many opportunities, but opportunities are only exercised as we as individuals stretch forth a hand of God's love in inviting someone to come. So won't each of you make an effort and invite somebody to come with you next Sunday morning? Wouldn't it be great if every one of us had one person with us next Sunday? Thank you, Brother Max. Brother Henry Jones, church training director, is out of town this morning, but he wanted me to announce to you about the church training leadership clinic, uh, which will be tomorrow night and Tuesday night at the Memorial Baptist Church from 7 until 9. This is the 18th and 19th, tomorrow and Tuesday. And I know that our church training leaders are already aware of it, but just the last moment's uh, encouragement to be a part of this training. And then one final announcement of our uh, fall color bus tour as it leaves this coming Thursday and Saturday for the trip to Helen and through the mountains. Uh, if you have made a reservation, let me urge you to get your uh, monies in. And if you have not made a reservation, we do have some openings on the Saturday trip if you would like to go for that. Thank you. Our hymn of offering this morning is hymn number 346, All to Thee. And as we stand to sing, our brethren will prepare to receive our morning tithes and offerings. Let's stand. Thank you, our Father, for the privilege we have of coming again to worship. We thank you for the many blessings you've given to us. And as we return a portion of that which you have given to us, we pray that thou would bless us and use it, that the name of Christ shall be honored throughout the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
to be like the blessed Redeemer. This is my constant longing and prayer. Gladly I'll forfeit all of earth's treasures. Jesus, thy perfect likeness to wear. Oh, to be like thee, full of compassion, loving, forgiving, tender and kind, helping the helpless, cheering the fainting, seeking the one to find, oh, to be like thee, oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer, pure as thou art. Come in thy sweetness, come in thy fullness, and thine own image deep on my heart. Oh, to be like thee while I am pleading, pour out thy spirit, fill with thy love. Make me a temple, for thy dwelling, fit me for life and heaven above. Oh, to be like thee, oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer, pure as thou art, come in thy sweet Come in thy fullness, stamp thine own image deep on my heart. It's very difficult for us to live the kind of lives that we know are pleasing to Jesus. It's difficult because there are so many, many things that get in the way. It's not difficult at all to find those who would pull us away from a Christian walk and a Christian life and a Christian witness and a Christian testimony. We always have encouragement to go away from God and to go away from God's house. The world is full of many exciting things, so many of which the devil uses simply to draw the Christian away from the Christ-like life. We're not different 
from any other generation. The same was true for my father's generation and my grandfather's, and on and on and on. That was true when Jesus walked on this earth, and it was true in the centuries before that blessed moment. There are many things that keep us from living the kind of pure, clean lives the way Jesus wants us to live. I read the Old Testament with a great deal of joy, reading how God has dealt with his people, how God has always loved his people. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God does not change in the way that he loves us, in the way that he deals with us or the plans that he has for us. A great many things about us change, but God does not change, and the word of God does not change. And the historic facts that God has shared with us in these stories of the Old Testament are but lessons for us applying to our own lives, in our own age, in our own generation, our own times. And hopefully, as we would read and study the events of the past, hopefully we would make the kind of resolves and establish the kind of permanent and real and vital relationship to God that would enable us to live above and beyond the things that would draw us away from the Christian life and the Christian walk. In the 13th chapter, the Old Testament book of Nehemiah, we discover some truths that have striking parallels. The 1976, in the United States of America, in Tennessee, in Chattanooga. In the 13th chapter of the book of Nehemiah, we discover that Nehemiah had left Jerusalem. You remember in the larger context of the events that Nehemiah had been the trusted advisor to the king, to a foreign king over there in bondage in Babylon. He had been carried away, but his heart had constantly been beating for home, for Jerusalem. The word came that Jerusalem had been burned, the walls were down, the temple was desolate, Sacrifice was not being offered, and his heart was grieved. And, and he begged the king, the foreign king, he begged him to let him go back, and the king did. And so Nehemiah went back, and under that first period of 
his administration. We know that he had enemies. There were those who laughed at him. There were those who would not get in and do their share of the work. There are always the detractors. He had his share of them. But the walls went back up. Things were done within the city itself. Life returned. The people again were living in a way that would bring some glory to their God. And then Nehemiah goes back to Babylon. Possibly a time limit had been reached. We don't know all the facts about it. We have to read between the lines. But probably the king, in saying that Nehemiah could go back to Jerusalem and do the work, simply said, at a given time, I want you back. I'll give you a leave of absence, but I want you back. And so, in accordance with the, with the plan, Nehemiah went back. We don't know how long he was there, but then the story picks up again and Nehemiah is back at Jerusalem. He hears about things again going on over there. The first time it had been the fact that the physical walls had fallen and the physical temple was down. And this time the story comes back, well, the physical walls are up and the physical temple is there, but the people are living like heathens. And his heart was broken about it. And so he made arrangements and he went back to Jerusalem for that second time. And the events that we read about here in the 13th chapter are the events that take place during this second time of his administration. He comes back. And he comes back to set straight the things that are wrong, the things that are amiss. On coming back, he discovers, he verifies for himself the things that he had heard, that is, that a great deal of backsliding had taken place by the Jews in the city of Jerusalem. They had had a good beginning back there. They were worshiping back there. The services were going on. But now the tenor of the time is to backslide, to be away from God and away from God's house. And so he comes back. He discovers that there's a great deal of compromise with the devil. That those who were supposed to be living godly lives were compromising their convictions. We're saying, oh, well, what difference does it make? You don't want to be dogmatic. You don't want to be a fanatic. And so compromise was the order of the day. Nobody was distinctly godly. Nobody really standing up for God and being counted as one of his. Because of what Nehemiah had done in his first administration, a measure of prosperity returned. And so the people building on that soon forgot that their prosperity had been built upon their relationship to God. And as they got away from God then, they began to be lovers of their possessions, lovers of their money, lovers of their houses, far more than lovers of God. 
and of God's word and of God's way. And Nehemiah raised his voice against them. The easy thing is to just be quiet, just not say anything. I'm still amazed as I think about it that a few years ago when the referendum for liquor by the drink was held in our community, the number of voices that were silent that should have been lifted in opposition to the hellish trade. I was amazed at the number of preachers whose names are so well known and flaunted as being popular preachers of our area who are silent in the issue. It's an easy thing just to be quiet. Don't offend anybody. It's an easy thing to be a preacher and never really do anything for God, to be a Sunday school teacher and just mouth nice little pieties without ever getting down to the grip of life where the members of class struggle day in and day out. But Nehemiah lifted his voice. There was obvious wrong, and he pointed out that wrong. Why? Because he hated them? No, you know better than that. But because he loved God first, and God's way first, and he loved his people, and he wanted the best for his people. Well, what had happened to them in this time of his absence? While he had gone back over there, before he had come back to Jerusalem on this second time, for this second administration, what had happened to the people? Well, let's take a look at the scriptures, because the scriptures are clear if you'll just take time to read them, clear to point out the love of God. I shared with the Sunday school class that I taught this morning an interesting little story that I read this week in a fellow pastor's column. I read it for the very first time. It was the story of Elizabeth Barrett Browning. When she told her parents that she was going to marry Robert Browning, her parents objected strenuously and said, we'll disown you. We do not approve of him. You cannot do it. But she married him. And over the course of the years, in the beautiful love affair that developed, and out of that life there came so many beautiful poems, the sonnets of the Portuguese. Over the course of the years, it is said that never a week went by, maybe more often than once a week, but never a week went by that Elizabeth Barrett Browning did not write a letter home to her parents and to tell them that she loved them and that she wanted their love and understanding and forgiveness. Ten years went by. At the end of a ten-year period, Elizabeth Barrett Browning received a large box and opening the box, she discovered all of those letters that she had written home. And not a one of them had been opened. How often God sends a love letter into your life and mine. How often God reveals his self to us. But like these parents, blind 
in their hatred cannot read and see and know the love that God has showered. The people were like that. We must not be like that. We must let the word of God speak. And God in love does speak. God in love does share himself. When we will read and love his word, he will reveal himself in a glorious way to us. In the 13th chapter of Nehemiah, in the third verse, now it came to pass that when they had heard the law, that they separated from Israel all the mixed multitude. Was he talking about the mixed multitude? From the beginning of God's dealing with that special man, and through that special chosen man, Abram, and through his family and his seed to become that chosen race of people that we know as the Jew. From the very beginning of God's relationship, God has said to them, live separated lives. Live clean lives. Don't marry with the heathen. Don't travel with the mixed crowds. Don't go with mixed company. For you'll take on to the ways of the heathen. You'll take on to the ways of those who are idolaters. You'll take on to the ways. You'll water down the law. You'll water down the commandments. You'll water down my love for you. Don't just run with the crowd, with the mixed company. That's what he's saying here, the mixed multitude. And the children of God who lived in Jerusalem when Nehemiah had left, when there was no one there to remind them, they just started living as they wanted to, taking onto the ways of the heathen, practicing all of the, the, the heathen cult. And they were disgraced at God because they did not keep a purity. Now you see, everything that we say here about the Jews in Jerusalem, where Nehemiah points out for them how he wants to help them and bring them back to the way of God, see this in this hour as the parallel for your generation, for my generation, for your life, for my life, for your family, for my family. Let's look at it in the light of now. When our closest friends are not Christians, when the activities of life in which we engage, our, our social calendars are filled with those activities with people who are not Christians, who do not live for Christ, who do not love Christ, who are not a part of the church and a contributing factor to the welfare of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you choose your closest friends out of that circle and when you go with them and when you engage in that kind of an activity, you're running with the mixed company. That's what it says. And that's what they had been doing. And because they'd been doing it, it led them on and away, further and further away from God. Jesus we're told in the New Testament, Jesus was in this world 
but he was not of this world, and we are to be like Jesus. Jesus is our example, that we are in this world. God has put us here for a purpose. We are to make a bold thrust in this secular society of which we're a part, but we're not to be like the lizard who changes color in every leaf we trot. We're to be standing forth unashamedly as the children of the king. Well, Nehemiah discovered that in his absence on that sojourn back over temple itself sets him up in a place in a special court that had been used as the storage area for holy things. When Nehemiah comes back from Babylon, that's what he finds. He finds that the priest, the man who should have known better, the priest who represented God to the people, the priest, why the priest himself had installed the heretic in the place of honor. Nehemiah said it must not be so. Probably the furnishings were pretty fancy. Hand-carved and beautiful. The tapestries probably lavish. No doubt he had gold and silver there to use at the table. And his clothes were fine. He had everything that heart could desire. But Nehemiah said, throw it all out. And they took every bit of what he had and threw it out into the streets. And he said, clean the place up and let's use it again for its holy purposes. The people had come to a low estate. The people were backsliders. The people were going away from God. We are trying to discover why. The people were backsliders simply because they chose their friends among the ungodly. The people were backsliders and God disapproved of them simply because they'd rather be with the lost sinners than to be with God's people. Does that say anything to you? They were backsliders. They were dishonoring God in their lives. They were doing it because they put the heretic in the place of honor, because they believed anybody that had come down the road. We need to be very careful who we let preach to us, who we let teach us the books that we read. They were backsliders from God simply because they took that one that opposed God and put him in the place of honor. Nehemiah cast all the household stuff of Tobiah and he filled it with the things of God. How much, how much of the house of God have you let get filled up with the enemies of God? How much of your brain? Oh, we old narrow-minded Baptists, some of us, who constantly fight and complain against this traffic of pornography when more filth can be seen on the covers of so-called decent magazines than any drugstore stand than would turn a, the Victorian age upside down. We argue against the traffic of pornography because you cannot constantly fill the brain with sewage and with filth. 
without becoming contaminated by that sewage and by that filth. The holy place of the mind. When we read dirty books, when we tell dirty jokes, when we giggle at the dirty jokes that are told to us, when we think unholy thoughts, we fill the house. It ought to be given over to the things of God. We fill it with Tobiah with his unholy things. How much of the activity of life, like the Tobias that come into our lives, these, these bodies that are ours are temples of God, cleansed by the blood of Christ, sanctified by the presence of the Holy Spirit of God himself. And yet how much do we traffic in keeping these lives of ours dirty, in the sight of God. Why is it that some things are right and some things that are wrong? It's because they befoul the temple of God. They smoke up the foul of the, the, the temple of God. Nehemiah came back from Babylon and he saw that in the house of God where holiness is supposed to dwell, there was Tobiah. Tobiah. When you follow what you want more than what God wants, you put Tobiah in the chief place in the temple. When you live for yourself and give so little time or thought or energy or money or influence or witness or testimony to the power of Jesus Christ in your life, it means that you've enthroned a Tobiah in your life. And God's not pleased with it. And God's not honored with it. Oh, you can do it. You can do it. You can do all kinds of things. You can fill your life with envies, and you can fill your life with hatreds, and you can fill your life with a pride of self. You can fill your life with jealousies. You can, you can do it. But when you fill the holy place of your mind and your soul and your heart and the body and your flesh, and you do it with the Tobias of this world, just remember that you'll pay a price for it and that God's not pleased with it, and God's not honored about it. Well, it's such an easy thing. These people, you see, had not only started running with the wrong crowd, and therefore they got to thinking like the wrong crowd. And don't think you won't, and don't think you don't if you're running with a crowd six days in the week and you come and spend an hour and a half in God's house on Sunday morning as though that'll somehow nullify all of the devilish influence of the wrong crowds you've been with all week. Won't do it. And in the holy place of your life, the holy places of your mind, the holy places of your heart, the holy places of your body, in your physical existence, in your sexual relationship to others, holy, holy under God, how you fill it up with the Tobias of extramarital sex and premarital sex and homosexuality. And how life is lived with the Tobias of hell in holy places. But God's not pleased with it, though you can do it. Nehemiah came back and he said, and I perceive there in the 10th verse, and I perceive that the portions of the Levites had not been given them. For the Levites and the singers that did the work were fled every one 
to his field. Then contended I with the rulers and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in one place. Do you get it? They were backsliders. Why were they backsliders? One of the things that contributed to it is that they did not have a proper relationship to the house of God. This was the danger. They allowed their own self-interest to be more important and to overrule the coming to God's house. Forsaken. The Levites had fled. The singers had gone their way. The services of the house of God were not being conducted. Why? Because the offerings had not been brought. Why? Because the people had forsaken coming to the house of God. And Nehemiah simply said, this is wrong. You're backsliders, you're distant from God, and this has contributed to it. In the New Testament, we are given this admonition, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Oh, the old devil's word is that, yeah, you can be a Christian outside the church. Well, of course, theoretically you can, but you can't be much of a Christian. Forsake not the assembling, the coming together for worship, the sharing of the possessions of life, the desire to promote the things of the kingdom of God for the honor of God, God's house. It's a place for Christians to assemble and to study and to pray and to worship and to grow and to be like Jesus. They had forsaken the house of God, had forsaken the house of God. Oh, I like football as much as anybody else that comes down the pike. But I suppose that if the Bible were being written today, instead of saying here that they worship the God's Baal, B-A-A-L, it'd have to be they worship the God Ball, B-A-L-L. 84,000 gathered in one city to watch a football game on yesterday afternoon. And empty pews here today because folks have slept late this morning because they've worshipped the God ball. More money spent for two hours pastime on any given Saturday afternoon in a ball season than to be spent by the people of God to promote the glory of Jesus and spread the gospel around the world to give it all year long. Worship of the wrong gods. You can worship the wrong gods right in your own house, right in your own home. They had neglected the proper kind of a relationship to God on God's day. Nehemiah came back with a broken heart. He loved his people and he loved God. And he wanted his people to know God, not just to be slaves to God, but to receive the blessings that God would give. For God had marked out the way in which they should go. Ways of blessing, ways of honor, ways that would result in their own closeness to him. And when you get close to God, you get God's blessings. When you get away from God, you get the punishments of God. Nehemiah wanted his people to have the blessings of God. And so he discovered what was wrong with them. And he said, not only are you running with the wrong crowd and you prefer them and you do God's people, and not only have you put the false teachers and the false things and false folks up in the holy places of your life, just as Tobiah was given a very place in the courtyard 
of the temple itself, the relationship to the house of God, but the relationship to the day of rest. That look down to verse 15. In those days saw I in Judah some treading wine presses when on the Sabbath and bringing in sheaves and leading asses as also wine and grapes and figs and all the manner of burdens which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I testified against them in the day wherein they sold their victuals. There dwelt men of Tyre also therein. They brought fish and all manner of ware, and they sold on the Sabbath under the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. And then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said unto them, What evil thing is this that you do and profane the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers thus, and did not our God bring this evil upon us and upon this our city? Yet ye bring more wrath upon Israel by profaning the Sabbath. And it came to pass that when the gates of Jerusalem began to be dark before the Sabbath, I commanded that the gates should be shut and charged that they should not be opened until after the Sabbath. And some of my servants set I at the gate that there, should be n that there should no burden be brought in on the Sabbath day. So the merchants and the sellers of all kind of ware lodged without Jerusalem once or twice. Then I testified against them, and I said unto them, Why lodge ye out about the wall? If you do so again, I'll lay hands on you. And from that time forth came they no more on the Sabbath. God's day is God's day. In the New Testament period, we observe the first day of the week, which is the mark of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the Lord's day. And we can be straight-nosed and we can be called observers of the blue law. We, you can call anything and you want. But when businesses operate on the Lord's day, it's in violation to the will of God. Why? Because it destroys you who participate. The word was clear. These were backsliders. These were people out of fellowship with God. These were people who were robbing God. These were people who were not tapped on to the great blessings that God wanted them to have. And Nehemiah said, here's the reason. You're running with the wrong crowd. You put the wrong things in the, on the throne room of your, of your heart, in the very temple in which you live. You despise the house of God. You forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And worse even than that, he says, you make the Lord's day to be a day of traffic. A day of traffic. A day of traffic. Word of God. Say, oh, well, that was another day. That was another time. Doesn't apply to us. Oh, no. No. Has God changed? Has heaven changed? Have the commandments changed? Jesus said, I've not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. The relationship to the day of rest. And let me just share something with you. Thank God you're here this morning. But spending an hour here just praying that the service will soon be over is not a proper observance of the Sabbath. The Christian Lord's Day, from the early morning to the late hours, to serve God. When you do not honor the Lord's Day, you dishonor God himself. And so we need to be careful, careful about what we plan, careful about what we schedule, careful about what we do on the Lord's Day. Just one other 
I must mention it because it is here in God's Word and it's a part of the story. With this, the message is over. The people were backsliders. They were away from God. They were not living in the joy of fellowship with their sovereign God. And Nehemiah, who was their friend and who loved them, Nehemiah coveted for them that closeness of relationship, but in his honesty, he had to point out for them that which was wrong and that which had caused them to turn their face away from God. And here's what he says. We look now at the 23rd verse. In those days also saw I Jews that had married wives of Ashdod and Ammon and of Moab, and their children spake half in the speech of Ashdod and could not speak in the Jews' language, but according to the language of each people. And down in the 27th verse, Shall we then hearken unto you to do this great evil to transgress against our God in marrying strange wives? A people God had created, a people God had chosen for a purpose to be the channel through which his divine revelations would flow to all the world, a people for whom he desired theirs be the life that's pure and clean and close to him and wholesome and honest and right and all of the various things that he had set in motion whereby they could learn of him and grow to be like him. They turned their backs on all of that, including this manner, matter of who they married. When Nehemiah came back, he found out that marriage didn't mean anything. Marry anybody you want to, that was the rule of the day. Live with anybody you want to, that's the rule of the day. Unholy alliance, they, mar they marred and here a mongrel testimony came out. Getting married to non-Christians has marred the lives of more Christians than nearly anything that I know about. Well, how do you get married in the Lord? You do it when you court in the Lord. You don't marry folks you don't know. You don't marry folks you don't date. So be careful who you date. And be careful how you court. And be careful what you do. And remember here that believers are not to be yoked with non-believers. And this was the problem in the day that Nehemiah came back with a broken heart to Jerusalem. This was his word to them. You've married the wrong women. And your children don't even know about God. And they can't even talk the language. Oh, how illiterate our children are in the things of the Bible. How ignorant and how dumb we are in the things that pertain to God himself. Why? It's because we've not been careful in this matter of the purity of our lives. A spiritual purity that touches, yes, even the home, the one we marry. Girl, be sure that boy you're dating is a Christian boy. Girl, boy, be careful who you date. Be sure she's a Christian. Walk together in the Lord and be clean in the Lord and careful who you run with and be in the house of God and give God the Lord's day. This, this, this is the formula for being right with God. And here it is. And it's the parallel. The parallel with our day. They were backsliders. And Nehemiah called it by the right name. 
Are you a backslider? That is, has there ever been a moment in your life that you were closer to Jesus Christ than you are right this very moment? There's ever been a moment that you had closer fellowship and a sweeter relationship with God and with God's people than you have now. It means you're a backslider. I don't care who you are. And I say that in love and I say it in honesty. As one who desires that that relationship to you and your God and God's people be so very clean and rich and solid and pure. Walking with Jesus. They were backsliders. But Jesus welcomed them, welcomes us. For if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the beauty of it, walking with Jesus. Our Father in heaven, As we read this experience of Nehemiah and the people in Jerusalem thousands of years ago, dear God, it's just like reading this morning's newspaper. For dear Lord, it describes us so beautifully, so horribly. For we find it easier to run with the wrong crowd. We find it easier to do things on the Lord's day for our pleasure, but that rob you of the honor of the witness of our lives. We find it so easy to neglect the things of the Spirit, to give high place to those who laugh at you and mock you. It's so easy for us to do. It's so easy, dear Lord, for us to be infatuated with the world, with the men and the women of the world who draw us away from you. God forgive us and God help us. Help us build our part of the holy Jerusalem with clean hands and clean hearts and with lives that give no place to the Tobias, but that give place to the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hymn number 194. We're only going to sing two verses, but it'll be long enough for you to do whatever the Holy Spirit would lead you to do. The 13th chapter of Nehemiah is our chapter, and the exhortation that Nehemiah gave his people is my exhortation to you to set right the things that are wrong, to profess Christ as Savior, to be a part of this church fellowship. As we stand and sing two verses, 
I invite you to come. Thank you.